apologize for all the wires up here. I feel like robo-pastor here. Uh, my, my fault. Um, before we get started, you guys, um, we are in a series called Visible. And uh, for those of you all that are visiting, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I'm just very, 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 very excited about what we're going to be talking about today. Um, I have to confess something. I thought that this topic today was going to be what's known in pastor terms as a so water. A, a, a so water is every pastor's biggest fear. It is. It is. Um, uh, for those of you who never pastored a church or preached a sermon, let me explain what an infamous so water is. It's when you preach your heart out and you deliver timeless truth uh, with hours and hours and hours of preparation. And the people look at you bored and they say, so what? Um, I looked at this topic, gentleness. And I said, great. Okay, we're supposed to be gentle. What else is there to say? You know, first point, you're supposed to be gentle. Second point, don't be a jerk. Is, I mean, is that literally all, all I, can, I had to say? What can you say? Well, I was wrong. As I got into this topic, as I studied and wrestled with this topic this week, um, I will have to say the Holy Spirit led me to places I never thought I would go, and I've never gone before. I've never preached the thing, some of the things that uh, I'm going to preach today. Never heard it, and I've never because I didn't even know it was an issue, but it is. And uh, what I thought was a fairly insignificant no-brainer turned out to be something far more problematic and challenging than I ever thought. And I truly hope after today, you will not say, so what? I hope that when you leave here, you'll be saying, now what? But uh, to dive into this topic of gentleness, the main thing is power under control. I, I always thought that as, as a man, gentleness was wimpy. It was, it was not something I aspired to. That's not what every boy wants to be when he's a young kid. I, grow, I want to grow up to be gentle. That's not what a, 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 is, at the, is at the heart of a young boy or a man. That's not, we, we, we are taught that gentleness is wimpiness. It is, uh, uh, it is weakness. Well, it's nothing like, nothing of the sort. Gentleness is power under control. Some of the strongest, most courageous people I've ever met in my life are gentle. All right, and that is the that is the standard that God calls us to. So the first thing we have to do, if we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to manifest gentleness in us, the first thing we have to do, we have to become a master of the gentle answer. Master of the gentle answer. Proverbs 15:1 says this: a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And if you've lived in America in 2019 with social media, you know that gentleness is disappearing. The harsh words stirring up anger seems to be the, uh, the standard now. The gentle answer, though, this is what the gentle answer is. Gentle answer is taking fire and gasoline and keeping them apart. That's what the gentle answer is. Um, a, a fire needs wood and needs fuel. So does an argument. Without it, they both go out. How many of us have done the tennis match? Any, any, especially couples in here, done the tennis match where you resemble, you know, where you stand on either side of a net and you lob insults and mean comments at each other and boom, boom, and, and your kids are looking like this and looking like this and they wonder what in the world's going on? Yeah, we've all done that. 
all right? Uh, you know, you, you, you say something like, you're stupid. Well, then they say, well, you're ugly. And then say, well, you're an idiot. Well, you've got a big nose and you're learning, le- losing hair. I'm going to preach the rest of this message like this. All right? You know, vicious insults like that. We've all done that. And where's it get us? Where's it get us? Does it get us where we want to go? How many of you all, after the tennis match, after you're, you're engaging in the tennis match and you're using harsh words toward the other person, the other person throws up their hands and says, you know what? You're right. Gosh, I am being such an idiot. I wish I would have just seen things your way earlier. You are brilliant. You're a genius. Tell me again how stupid I am so I can come up to your level of greatness. Does that ever happen? If it has, I mean, I mean I'm sorry. I, I, it's never happened to me. Remember, every fire needs fuel, you guys. Every fire needs fuel. A harsh word is like gasoline. A gentle answer is like water that quenches it. A gentle answer is something that requires wisdom. See, wisdom, you guys, is the ability to foresee the consequences of our actions. If we say this, this will happen. Is this what we want to happen? Well, if not, we don't say this. That's what wisdom is, the ability to foresee the consequences of your action. And so uh, uh, wisdom is the ability to say the thing that will bring about your desired result. Okay? That's what wisdom is. That's what the gentle answer is. It is mastering the words that will bring about the desired result. And if you're a Christian, you're a Christian man, a Christian woman, Christian teenager, Christian child. If you are a Christian, your desired result is that which honors God. That is your desired result. Whenever you speak, whenever you act, your desired result is that which honors God the most. So will the words out of my mouth honor God the most? That's your desired result. And God is calling us to a higher standard. See, immature and short-sighted people say what's ever on their minds. They get triggered. And once they're triggered, they're no longer responsible for anything that comes out of the mouth or any actions they take. That's what our culture says. But God calls us to a different place. He calls us to a higher standard. He calls us to an alternative vision for how we can be. That's what God calls us to. Short-sighted people, immature people say whatever they want with no regards to consequences. How does life work out for them? Not well. They destroy relationships. They destroy marriages. They destroy friendships. They destroy everything in their wake. Like I said, God calls us to be to, to a different way. And I love that about God. The, more, the longer I live in this world and the more I see our cultural chaos, the more attractive God's ways look to me. They really are. I found life and joy and peace in them. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, harsh words really don't do anything. Angry words don't really do anything. They don't. If they were effective, I would say so. But they aren't. Over the course of your life, angry, harsh words will only wind up hurting you. And you can, never, you can truly destroy people who've done nothing, nothing to you. But I've also found that gentleness is far more persuasive than anger. Gentleness is far more persuasive than anger. Proverbs 25, 15, look what the Word of God says. This is amazing. The Word of God says this, Proverbs 25, 15, through patience a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Wow. It's not through angry, harsh words we persuade people to come over our point of view. It's through gentle words, through patience, what the Word of God says. And it's true. Nobody listens to anybody who's yelling. If you got kids, you know that. The more you yell, the less they listen. So you have to yell more, and they listen even less. 
You yell more and they listen even less until soon. They're not even bothering with you. True? Nobody listens to someone who's yelling. Nobody changes his or her mind as a result of you raising your voice. In fact, the second you raise your voice and use harsh words, the walls go up, don't they? And you know that because that's what you do when someone approaches you that way. As a soccer referee, one of the things I tell players is I will respond to you the same way I'm approached. You approach me harling, yelling, boom, card. You approach me with rational, calm stuff about a call, I'll talk to you. I'll respond to you the same way you approach me. And that probably is very, very, very common in life. We respond to people the way we're approached. So if, if people are responding to you angrily, look at the way you're approaching them. Gentleness is far more persuasive than anger. Because this, Matthew 7, 12 says, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And I want to modify that. Speak unto others the way you'd want people to speak unto you. Speak to others the way you want to be spoken to. Do you like being yelled at? If not, don't yell at people. If you like, you like being insulted, call names. Well, don't do that to other people. You like being demeaned and put down? Well, don't do that to other people. In, in office situations, I've, I've seen some toxicity along these lines. Like, you know, you see a boss that always talks about how hard he or she had it, how bad they were treated when they were in your position. And so they feel justified in doing that to you. You know, well, well you know, that's just paying your dues. Yeah, well, I, I, when I was in your position, boss yelled at me all the time, so get used to it. That's the way things are around here. Well, I'd like to ask that boss, did you like it? Did you like it when, when, the, when, your, when your boss demeaned you and insulted you and yelled at you? Did you like that? Well, then why are you doing it to someone else? It's very, very strange why we do things like that. But guys, if you don't like having all those things, no one else does either. And if you truly want people to see your point of view, Come around to your perspective. Do what the Bible says. Okay? Through patience, a ruler, or a boss, or a spouse, or a coworker, or a child. Through patience, they can be persuaded. And a gentle tongue can break a bone. So what we've seen is that gentleness in the way we speak does two things. Okay? Does two things. It stops the shouting match. It uses wisdom instead of emotion. And second, it is effective. No one listens to you if you're yelling. It's ineffective. It doesn't work. And more than that, it destroys your reputation and your witness as a Christian. God is calling us to a higher way of speaking. And, I, and a lot of us could change, use a big change in the way we speak. I was a youth minister for many years, and one of the shining examples of youth ministry was camp. How many of y'all went to church camp as a kid, maybe? Church camp. Raise them high. I, 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 I'm blind. Okay. Awesome. Very cool. So you guys will all know what I'm talking about. Um, camp was a big thing. Uh, you get away from the garbage, and you get around all your friends, and, and you get around some awesome worship and some awesome teaching, and, and, and everybody uh, it just has a great and amazing time. And every youth leader, it doesn't matter if you're Baptist, Methodist, if you're from the Christian church, whatever, every youth leader gives the same talk the last night, the last night, Thursday night. Usually they go home on Friday. Thursday night's the big night. And every youth leader gives the same talk. It goes something like this. Young people, it's easy for us to live for Christ when we're up here on the mountain. But tomorrow we're going to be down in the... Oh, you've heard the same talk. I told you. Uh, you know, it, it, it's the same talk. 
And everyone makes these big, gigantic promises about how great and holy they're going to be and the changes they're going to make in their lives and how committed they are going to be to God and all that. But I, I know it's not genuine. Do you know how? you know how I know? It's because I used to observe how the students, when their parents came to pick them up, I observed how the students talked to their parents. I observed how they spoke to them in harsh and rude and demeaning ways. And I wonder how many of us, of us talk to loved ones in ways that demean and hurt and cause all kinds of pain. All I ask you to do as your pastor is to stop in the name of Jesus and consider with intensity the words out of your mouth. God is calling you to a higher standard, to a higher way of living, people. Because masters of the gentle answer are the people that can honor God and bring about the desired results for the Christian. When I was working on this sermon, the Holy Spirit guided me to a very dark place that I wasn't expecting and that I had never studied before. I call it a dark place for two reasons. One, because it is sinister, it is evil, and it's probably one of the worst things that can happen in the name of Jesus. But second, because no one talks about it. It's literally in the dark. Because it exists, we're obligated to talk about it. If you've been around here at Catalyst, we talk about everything. We don't dodge any issue. Third thing that we learn about gentleness is we should never use the word of God to justify spiritual abuse. Spiritual abuse is this. It's the use of religious texts, religious principles, or one spiritual authority to control a family member. Let me give you some examples. In an article titled, I'm a marriage counselor, here's what I want Christians to know about domestic spiritual abuse. In Sojourner's Magazine, Christian counselor Steve Hopp uh, talks about something that shocked me to the core. He says this, three examples. He says, Bill is married. When he wants sex, he wants it now. If his wife doesn't reciprocate, he forces himself on her or verbally shames her for failing as a Christian wife. He justifies his behavior by citing 1 Corinthians 7.4, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Second example, Miranda hits her six-year-old daughter with a wooden paddle when she's disobedient. Her daughter's often left bleeding, bruised, and limping. Miranda cites Proverbs 23.13 as her reason for disciplining in this way. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. Third example, Tom micromanages his wife's physical appearance to fit his own personal taste. He picks out her clothes, tells her how she can do her hair, restricts her diet so she remains thin. When she confronts him on his controlling behavior, he, Tom cites Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. How horrible. I can imagine the people that use God's word to abuse, to control, standing before God on their judgment day because they will. And the, and the Lord looking at them and saying, you used my word, my precious word to demean and to dominate and to insult and to control these precious people I brought into your life that are my creation, they're my daughters, they're my sons. And now because of you, they want nothing to do with me. 
You have perverted my word. What do you have to say for yourself? It's going to be a terrible moment because you'll have nothing to say for yourself. And I would imagine, I don't have this on spiritual authority, but I can make a pretty good case for it. God would say, off to the darkest pit of hell for you, for using my word in that way. There's a problem in the church. It's in the dark. We don't like to talk about it, but it happens. The volume of research I found on this topic astounded me. And if you are either an abuser in an abusive relationship or have been abused, this is the place for you. We want you here. This is a place where we want you to heal up, where the abuser can repent and change and where the abused can find healing. Here are 15 signs of spiritual abuse, abuse in general, that you need to be on the look for. I'm going to bring it to light. What's done, the Bible says what's done in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. Well, here it is. Here are 15 signs. Number one, physically harming you. That is not in the Word of God. Two, pressuring you to engage in sexual activity. Number three, insulting you or calling you names. Number four, isolating you away from your relatives. It's a big one. Because abusers like to work in the dark. They can't have you talking to anybody else. If they're isolating you from friends and family and people that care about you, big sign. Number five, threatening you. Number six, confining you to your home. Number seven, sabotaging your friendships. Number eight, restricting your ability to access financial information. Number nine, forcing you to diet or to exercise. Number 10, preventing you from working. Number 11, controlling your email or social media accounts. Number 12, telling you what you can and cannot say in small groups, church, or other social settings. Number 13, locking you in rooms, closets, or basements. Number 14, taking away your access to transportation. Number 15, blocking your contact with counselors, mentors, or other spiritual figures. And if you think that this, is re- re- only, o- that this only deals with women... You're wrong. I remember sitting down with a professor of mine who remained nameless at seminary, and we were just talking, and he, he, he was talking about being divorced, and I said, well, what happened if you don't mind me asking? And he was quiet for a second, and he pulled back his hair to reveal a huge gash on his forehead, huge scar on his forehead, and he said, my wife did that with a skillet, put me in the hospital for two weeks. And uh, I've asked a member of our church, a member of my community group, Amanda, to come up and share a little bit with you. I really want to thank you for being here, Amanda, and for sharing what uh, uh, I know is a, a difficult thing, uh, but uh, we'll just kind of talk like we did on Wednesday night, and uh, we'll see what the Lord does. All right, you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Well, um, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, yes. Um, first, I'd like to say, in case you can't tell, I am extremely nervous. <laughs> so, 
if you'll just bear with me, and I've, I've made some notes just so I can recognize them. Um, I came from a, a very non-Christian home. I can count the number of times I went to church um, as a child, and um, I have a good relationship with my father now, but as a child, my father was quite controlling and somewhat abusive to my mother, and so that was a very normal kind of thing. Um, and then when I hit my teen years, uh, my parents separated and fighting got really heavy and things were really bad. I didn't live at home. I usually carried a, a bag in my car with a toothbrush and an extra pair of clothes because I didn't know where I would sleep, depending on how things were going at the time. Um, and it was at that time that I met my now ex-husband um, and he seemed like a refuge from the answer. my life. The yes, answer. Mm -hmm. the answer. Um, he was going through a family divorce as well and had already been through it and knew what that was like and um, I, I knew there was trouble there but I was also the girl that thought I was drawn to fixing people and I felt like I could see the goodness in somebody's heart um, that other people couldn't see and um, so that that's kind of where things started when we um, were in our early 20s um, right before our oldest was born um, we were both saved and and came to the Lord and I thought that at that point things would get better um, because it was already an abusive relationship um, but instead, um, it, Christianity, the Bible, God's word just became another way to bludgeon, yes, to, to abuse to me, abuse and control. Mm -hmm. Um, when we were talking, you said that you saw that you saw spiritual abuse kind of being used as a tool, kind of, kind of like that. Yes. So when I was trying to think about what I wanted to say today, uh, I really struggled with if, um, how spiritual abuse was used. Was it spiritual abuse used to physically abuse, sexually abuse, emotionally abuse, or were physical, sexual, and emotional abuse used to spiritually abuse? I don't know that it matters. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't. But the reality is, after speaking to my oldest about this, is he, he said, Mom, it, it was a tool. He, spiritual abuse was a tool that was used. Um, to control. To control more. Mm -hmm. And I, I just wrote a couple of examples, and I cited almost the exact same verses that you you did. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing I, I really feel like I want people to know is a lot of times when you hear somebody talk about these things, you think that, well, how could you be so led astray? How could you fall for this? It doesn't, it doesn't just start like one day everything's great, and the next day you're locked in a basement, you know? Mm -hmm. It starts by someone using the word of God. So your husband using God's word that talks about wives submit to their husbands to say, well, this is what I want from you, and so this is what I think you should do. And so for you to be a godly wife, which I so much wanted to be, that means that you get up every morning and you make my breakfast and you pack my lunch, and it doesn't matter if you were up all night with the baby. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Um, if you had a baby three days ago, this is your duty as a godly wife. Well, that doesn't seem terrible. You know, okay, I'll do that. 
but, but then it goes, it goes farther and it gets to the point where um, it is every decision that's made about your children. It's every uh, decision that's made about your life is being made by that person. And, um, you know, the scriptures. And, it, and if you disobey me, you're disobeying God. You're disobeying God. Yeah. I mean, it got to the place where he really became my God. And the one thing that I, again, I said to my oldest is, it sounds so bizarre to say it, but it's true. I wanted so badly to honor God that I was willing to sin against God to honor my husband because I thought that my husband had my back as far as what was best. And um, it, it just had far-reaching effects there. Um, I was only supposed to wear dresses because that was what was appropriate for women. My girls were not allowed to wear jewelry. They were not allowed to paint their nails because that would attract um, male attention and adornment was meant for when you got married. Um, I would say the biggest thing, and, and this is probably the hardest thing for me to say, is those were all still verses that were kind of just manipulated a little bit, but then it got to the point where it was, well, um, you know, keep the marriage bed pure. Well, my interpretation of keeping the marriage bed pure is that anything basically that happens within a marriage between a husband and wife is completely acceptable to God. So now, if my husband says that pornography is okay, then pornography is okay, because he says so, and he must be right. And that just leads to so many more things than you, you can ever imagine. Or if my husband says that you must be available at all times for sex, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you're making dinner. It doesn't matter if your child is sick in the next room. It doesn't matter if you had a baby two weeks ago. You are required by God to be available to me. And how long did this go on? I was married for 18 years, and we were together for four or five years prior to that, most of my adult life, until uh, about five years ago, six years ago. And so the question is, um, you know, how did it affect you? I mean, obviously, but how did it affect you? A lot of negative effects. Um, I, one of the things I didn't get to talk about, one of the scriptures that was used regularly um, was that uh, Jesus didn't come to bring peace, but to bring division, fathers against sons and mothers against daughters. And I didn't come from a Christian home, so anytime my parents did something, um, it was one more reason that we should have nothing to do with them. Oh, he's and, isolating you yes. away from family. And I'd already, we'd already moved here 500 miles from my family. So there were times when I didn't see my parents for three years and my kids didn't see them because of those kinds of things. It, you were put in that position of uh, choosing between honoring your husband and what he desires or seeing your parents. And if you saw your parent, if I saw my parents, it was ungodly. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a broken relationship with my parents. I had a broken relationship with my children because um, I just couldn't, I couldn't be the mother I needed to be. And I sometimes think I resented some of the things I was required to do as a mother by him because of that, mm -hmm. you know. Um, right. It changed my relationship with God tremendously because when a man becomes your God, uh, there's so much flaw and sin in that. And so um, it changed my perception of Christian men. It 
caused me, along with all the other abuse, just to question my true reality. I could see something right in front of me and know it was true and still wonder if I was seeing it accurately. Because mm -hmm. you see everything through the filter. That, uh, yeah. And that filter is mm -hmm. skewed. Yeah. It's, it's so skewed, but you don't know that when you're in it. It takes years of coming out of it mm -hmm. to, to be able to see that. Um, yeah, so, you know. And so um, the question is, how's the Lord healed you? Because, you know, I, I love getting to know you and Tim and your family and, uh, and everything. Um, and so how's the, how's the Lord healed you? Uh, God has been so good to me. Um, as you all know, I'm married to Tim. We'll celebrate uh, three years this month. And um, he is just an amazing, godly man. I, I didn't know if I would ever get remarried. And um, he desires just to, to know the Lord and serve the Lord more and more every day. Um, I have a good relationship with my children, and that, that's something that's still being worked on. My, my kids still see their dad. Um, and so there's stuff that continues to go on that we fight on a regular basis because of that. Um, and we pray that God is changing those right now. Yes. Um, I, after I separated, I went to a program called Celebrate Recovery that I went to sometimes twice a week and was able to share my full detailed testimony at one point and become a leader there for a while. Um, that was extremely healing. Counseling, um, I, I am still healing. I, I mean, part of the hardest thing about coming up here today, you know, I, I don't know if people, if you have been abused, you know, when you start to think about it, when you start to come out of the dark into the light, there's this, don't do it, don't do it, you're going to regret this. People are going to judge you, people aren't going to believe you. Um, what if he finds out you said these things, you'll be called a liar, you'll be made a fool. You know, I, I've been sick since yesterday with my stomach knowing I was doing this. And it's not because I don't like talking in front of people, I don't mind that. It's because of the subject matter. Um, but what made me able to do it is that I know... I've said all along in all of this, please don't make all this hurt and pain and brokenness be in me. Lord, let it be used to glorify you somehow. And I really feel like it has been. I'm so grateful for this church. Um, if this was not a place that I felt like I could come and share freely, I would not have done it. Um, my community group has been so supportive. I've been able to just like leak little things out here and there, and rather than face judgment, I have felt um, comfort and, and a healing from it. And I feel like this today was just one more opportunity um, to bring more healing to myself, to my family. And I, I hope to anybody else out there who has been through this or is going through this now, there is light at the end of the tunnel, and um, God, God never wastes a hurt. It's something we always said in Celebrate Recovery, and I truly believe that. Well, if you look out, if you count five, every fifth person has either dealt with this or has lived in a home with it. Every fifth person. So you're not, you're, you're not looking at people that, that have never dealt with this before. That's one of the things. But, um, and I am so glad that uh, God brought you and Tim and your 
entourage. <laughs> you're, you know, you, you doubled the size of our church. You know, <laughs> I know, <kids>. right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I'm so glad that, that he brought you all here and that we can be a part of your healing and, uh, and everything like that. And I, I want to thank you for being willing to share. Not many people would. And uh, um, this is a place for you. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you. I'm grateful for the opportunity. I just want to say again that abuse, controlling, has no place in the life of a Christian. You know, to the men and women, um, especially the men, uh, there is no room for that. If you have been, if you grew up in a home that used the Word of God to control you or to shame you or to uh, uh, that kind of thing, I want to ask you. Uh, I want to. I want to tell you that that was wrong. The Word of God brings freedom. The Word of God is a lifeline. It is something to be rejoiced in, not to cudgel people with. And as the Holy Spirit takes over our lives, we realize that. We use gentleness, not abuse. But I, I, as, as i finishing up, I, uh, I ask myself, what is the purpose of strength? You know, wh why is it that God made certain people stronger and other people not? Why, why did God make men taller and stronger than women? What, 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 if you, and, and I'm not going to get into the political correctness of it, we all know that the average man is taller and stronger than the average woman. We all know that. Um, why did God do that? I ask myself that all the time because there seems like such an imbalance, and it's not fair. It's really not. Um, this is why I think that God did this. What is the purpose of strength? Philippians 4, 5 says, Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Remember, if you are strong and you have strength, the Lord is near. He's not far away. He is right next to you. And I, 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 I realized when I became a father and... I had my wife and my, my infant daughter in the house. And I was holding my daughter one day and I realized that I'm the physically strongest person in my household. My wife and my infant child are not as strong as me. And I realized that God did that for a reason because he designed me and, and men, he designed us stronger and bigger for one reason, and it is not to bully, to intimidate, to get your way, to, to force your way on people. That is not why he did that. The reason he created us this way was to defend, to protect, to stand between our families and the world and say, nothing gets at you except through me. So that our wives and our children and those who cannot stand up for themselves will sleep easy at night knowing that there is a strong person who, is, who has their back and will use their strength and their power and their aggressiveness to defend and if necessary be the first casualty. That's the, that's the vow that I've made. That as the biggest and strongest person in my family, I will use that to defend, to protect, and to if necessary be the first casualty. 
because any trouble or any harm will get at my family over my dead body. I will, I will be the first casualty. And guys, that is what Lord has called us to be. He has not called us to be bullies. He has not called us to be the, uh, uh, to, to be the dominating force in the house. I, I have people all the time, well, who should be the leader of the house, the man or the woman? Well, if you're asking that question, you're asking the wrong question. Well, doesn't it say, wives, submit to your husbands? Yes. What does it say, the verse before that? It says, submit to each other out of reverence for God. See, the model for Christian households is one of mutual submission. Uh, the husband uh, submitting his wants, desires, and needs for the betterment of his wife, and his wife submitting her, her wants, needs, desires for the betterment of him. Mutual submission. I heard it one time, the only argument a Christian couple should have is who gets to go second because they're both practicing mutual Submission, that is how gentleness is practiced in the Christian home. And so men, we are called. We have been given much. We've been given strength and size the way God designed it. And how you use that, you will be accountable for before God. Believe me, I warn you as your pastor, as your friend, how you use that strength and size, you will be called to account by God. It is not something to be wielded uh, like, a, like a kid that finds his, his dad's gun. It is something to be cherished and kept under control. Gentleness is power under control. And when you realize that as a Christian man, I believe your heart is going to start beating. Your heart is going to start, you're going to start coming alive. Because guys, that's what we were originally intended to be, as defenders and protectors. And if necessary, the first casualty. That makes my heart start beating as a man. And if you as a man have never had that, you've never made that decision or that, then I'm going to ask you to do that today. That gentleness, power under control, will be the marks of our lives and our households. And women, same thing. There's probably at least, I don't know, in a crowd this size, there may be at least one abusive female in here. Power under control. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Colossians 3.12, invite the band to come on back up. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That is the mantra for the Christian man or woman. That's what we're called to be. We're called to do. So, I know in certain terms, let's mercilessly rid ourselves of harsh words, of anger, of abuse, because it has no place in here, in a Christian household, or in our lives. It has no place. Instead, let our gentleness be evident to all, because the Lord 